Welcome to the Lady Preacher Podcast, a podcast for the progressive Christian, where we talk about an all-loving God, an embodied Christ, and an ever-moving spirit. Dive right in as we wrestle with what it means to live out our faith in the world. Hello, friends. Welcome to another week. I am so grateful to be here with you all and so thankful that you keep showing up week after week. I really appreciate that you choose to have my voice in your ears with each of these episodes that we put out every Monday. It really is a privilege that I hope I never take lightly or for granted. And y'all, I had so much fun with today's guest. But before I tell you about her and our conversation, I want to make sure you know about our Lent devotional that just came out, Searching for Hope and Grace. We are almost completely sold out of our pre-sales. And if you want to get one before Lent starts at the very beginning of March, you need to go order one now. Seriously, pause the podcast, pull over if you're driving, sit down, whatever you might be working on, go to dancingpastor.org slash store. I'll put the link in the show notes to make it easy and buy one today. Otherwise, I can't guarantee that it will arrive on time for Lent. So go now. Okay, now that that's taken care of, today's guest is Anna Darian, who is a professional storyteller, and we had a lot of fun today. I can't even tell you. When we finished the recording, we talked for another 10 minutes about some ideas we have to work together more and offer some great things for all of you. In the meantime, I'm excited for you to hear all of Anna's brilliance. She really is a wordsmith. She is captivating to listen to. We talk about storytelling and its value, what it means to find truth in your story. We even get metaphysical at one point about what truth actually is, but ultimately, Friends, this episode is about the universal stories that we all share, that we all have underlying fears and insecurities, hopes and dreams. And it really is in the sharing of those stories that connects all of us, that makes us realize that we aren't alone. You know, those things where you're like, oh, it isn't just me, right? That's what connects each of us is sharing our stories. To give you a little more about who Anna is, Anna Darian is a storytelling coach helping everyday people become exceptional leaders by leveraging the power of their story. Since launching her coaching business in 2017, she has helped hundreds of people around the world gain confidence in their voice through private coaching, through workshops, and live performances. Based in Tucson, Arizona, raised in France, and the daughter of Armenian immigrants, she calls herself a shameless truth teller. And storytelling is really her ministry. And for those who appreciate traditional street cred, she holds a bachelor's degree in political science from the University of Arizona and a master's in urban planning from the American University of Beirut. But clearly, she doesn't believe that a degree dictates one's career path. Before we begin, and I let you hear Anna's voice and let her tell you her story, let's take a moment to pray together. Gracious God, may we all, each of us, see the worth in our story. Fill us with your love and the comfort of knowing that we're not alone. God, I ask that you be with each person listening today. May they be filled with hope and trust in you. Guide us always in your grace, Lord. Open our hearts and our minds and fill our well today and every day. 
In your holy name we pray. Amen. All right, friends, without further ado, here is Anna Darian. Hello, Anna. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. Thank you. Can you tell us who are you? Who is Anna? What do you do? What do you love in the world? Like you can talk about paid work, unpaid, whatever. What do you like to do? I love that. Well, so obviously a lot of this conversation is going to revolve around storytelling and the work I do both personally, and professionally. Um, and so you'd think I'd have this like locked and loaded answer for what is my story, but I actually low key hate this question. It always feels like a challenge, you know, or especially almost the fact that you invite it to not be about work makes it like, Oh gosh, now you're going to know that I have no hobbies and I'm boring. So, you know, obviously thinking about a podcast like this lady preacher, I was like, well, what is my story? Who am I? How would I want to present myself? And what came to me was, uh, thinking of myself geographically. And so what I mean by that is, you know, I guess starting at the beginning, I was born in San Francisco. Um, and that only matters because I was married or I'm sorry, I was, my mother was, uh, American. She is American. She's still alive. And my father is Armenian and he came to the U S details are foggy, but he, from what I understand, he was a refugee of some sort political asylum. He grew up in the Soviet union, um, descendant of Armenian survivors of the genocide. And so all that to say is like at an early age, he was like, America is just not really where he wanted to be. He had this sort of grass is greener type of thing. And it launched us into this life where I uh, ended up living in uh, France outside of Geneva and lived there until my parents split. Then we came to the US and I sort of bounced between both places. I was in Tucson, Arizona, and I was like, this is definitely not the place that I'm ever going to be. And I pretty much from 10 onward, I just plotted my escape, um, which I did about four days after college graduation and then ended up living in um, Portland for most of my 20s. Then I took off, moved to Lebanon to do my master's in urban planning uh, at the height of the Syrian war that broke out there and then circled back to Arizona um, at which point I discovered this thing called storytelling, which obviously we're going to be talking a lot about. And that sort of changed everything for me. It, it was just this moment where, for lack of better words, I'm like, this is what I'm put on the earth to do, you know, tell stories, which is such a shameless thing. Like who, who has that kind of vocation? Like my, my reason for being here is to tell my stories, but that's, that's really what happened. Um, and this happened to be in 2016 when I had an existential crisis, um, called the 2016 election here in the U.S. And uh, just had this like, I mean, I feel like at least once a year I have an existential crisis, but this one was a big one. I think it was a collective existential crisis. And it really um, put me into the role of, you know, what does it mean to be a leader in this space? And so I started my own um, story coaching practice that was 2017, pretty much drove around the country trying to figure out where I was going to land with this thing ironically ended up back in San Francisco, um, hated that. And then came full circle back to now where I live, which is Tucson, Arizona, the place I vowed to never, ever, ever, ever come back to. Um, but I share that mostly because I, you know, having the upbringing I did with the parents, you know, sort of, we were living in one place with cultures from everywhere. I think, you know, the simple way to describe that is of course I wanted to 
belong and feel like I had like a home somewhere. And in some ways I feel like I can make a home anywhere. And I have that desire to belong, but I'm also honest enough with myself to realize that I also desperately try to avoid any commitment that I can't easily get out of. And I'm apt to just jump in my car and run away anyway. Um, but that's what I do. So I tell stories with this desire to be seen, uh, and also escape when I want. <laughs> so that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> Such an incredible story. I, you can tell from the very beginning of how you speak that you have this gift, that it really does come full circle in a lot of ways. And I love <laughs> that you talked about how you were plotting your escape because I Always. did the same thing. I grew up in the Seattle area in Tacoma, Washington, and it was so rainy. And I remember my senior year of college, I was like, I'm only looking at schools in California. Like mm. I want to go where the sun shines all the time. That summer California girls, the song came out and I was like, this is me. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> yeah. I loved it. And I was like, I'm never going anywhere, but where it's warm. And now I live in Wisconsin. So <laughs> is it, yeah, which is even colder than Seattle, right? Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. Yes. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I can't escape too easily these days. No, absolutely. Okay. Tell me about going to Lebanon and this like Ooh. urban planning. I'm really fascinated on what is it that like pulled you out of the country and said, this is where I want to go. So my undergrad was in political science. And my dream at that point was I was going to go join the Peace Corps. And then I was going to go work for the State Department. I was going to be that girl, that cool expat that you see, you know, all over the world. Um, but then I ended up in college being in a relationship with a guy who uh, it's from Washington, uh, not Tacoma, but north of that. And just very much this stable homebody kind of guy. And I remember him just saying, you know, how are we supposed to raise kids and have a family and this and that. And, you know, 20 year old Anna, that was enough to where I like, I don't know, you, you think you're making like actual adult decisions at the age. It's ridiculous. Now I'm 38 to, to think back that I could have actually changed my whole life quarter space off of somebody questioning how you can have kids while living in overseas. But all that to say, I ended up not doing that. He and I got engaged. We broke up the whole nine yards. And then I had this sort of crisis, maybe, I mean, 20 year old crisis, so much, as much as you can have a crisis. I think I was 28 and I ended a different relationship and it just became abundantly clear to me that almost every major decision I ever made was somehow around a man and their vision of the world. And that was just a very eye-opening for me because I was so sure that I was a strong, independent woman and none of my life decisions substantiated that. And so I was climbing a mountain literally with a friend that was called Tom, Dick and Harry Mountain. And she was telling different stories about having lived overseas taught overseas, um, things like that. And all my stories had to do with guys. And at the top of the mountain, it was just, it was almost like hilarious. I go, I gotta go, you know? And it's, like I said, this mountain is really called every Tom, Dick and Harry mountain. <laughs> and I just, it was not lost on me. And I just had this thing of like, I, why not now? You know, I'm, I think I had this idea of prior to that, I thought, well, I'm not going to go into 30, not be married. I think that was like my goal. Right. And then once that clearly wasn't happening or at least didn't happen with that guy who I thought was going to be it. Then I had this other thing. Well, I can't go into 30 still living this basic life. And so I just started to look around. I was curious about urban planning because I, um, I lived in Portland at the time, which is like this urban planning Mecca. And, and I just started to look up schools that were going to be an English language 
and in a non-English speaking country, I wanted to have a totally different experience and sort of pick up where I left off when I was 22. And so Lebanon came on the map for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm Armenian. There's a huge Armenian community there. Um, they had a brief stint of being colonized by the French. So I thought there was a connection with France there. There was a number of things like that. I grew up eating a lot of Lebanese food, um, being Armenian, they're kind of like our cousins in a way. And um, so that was, that's like the kind of official story, which is also true. And then the last bit, I'll just share real briefly. Um, this, the ex that I split with when I was 28, he did have uh, a job where he worked in a nonprofit that took him to the Middle East sometimes. And so I'll never a hundred percent know if I was like running away from being in the same city with him or running to a place where he might be, or I just, it was a little, like, I feel like I was closing the door, but opening a window kind of move, <laughs> um, because he did end up actually being there briefly when I arrived. That's a whole other story. It's not that kind of podcast, but, um, so that's the long and short of it is there's the, the part where I'm maybe still not honest with myself about my motives, but the reality is like, that's also true. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I, I hear that. I'm sure many of us have stories like that where it's like, am I going to go and have a meet cute on the airplane? Or like, am I going to, I don't know, all those different things where you're, you are driven by your own ambition and your own desires, but there's also like, there's a story that goes alongside it. And I think mm -hmm. both can be true. And, you know, not to make it biblical, but I wonder if that's sort of how, like when I read the Bible, there's so many variations on stories. I didn't realize until I was in college, I was taking a class, I think on early Christian history. And, um, the professor was talking about, um, King Saul and he was like, did you know, Saul had two different stories of how he became to king and one is like Saul is this big masculine warrior who's like yes I will be king and you will be my peons like you know big and powerful and then there's a second story not long after that about how he became king and it's like the people felt like God called on him to be king and he went and hid behind a rock and he's like this little scrawny guy who's like mm. afraid of everything and doesn't want to be king and I think both can be true. You know, maybe we all have those experiences where we feel like that big, strong person. And also like there's an us inside who's like also scared and terrified and wants to say no. I love that. I mean, I could go off on so many tangents, but totally. I mean, I think, you know, in the coaching work that I do that I know we're going to talk about here a little bit, but um, that's a big premise of the coaching work is sort of deciding that there are no quote unquote true stories. So then what do you want the story to be? And let's craft that because it's not, it's all just random stuff that happens and you can put a different spin on the exact same thing. And I would almost challenge in that story, you know, why isn't it heroic that somebody might take a beat to be sort of vulnerable with that, you know, cause we have this idea that if you have fear or you feel hesitant or vulnerable, then that's not part of like a King's heroic thing. So anyway, there's so many things, but, um, I definitely, yeah, no true stories. <laughs> okay. So tell me then about storytelling. Like you talked a little bit about how you fell into this work. So I guess, you know, what is your own story of that path? Like, mm -hmm. what was it that made you want to tell stories in particular? And how did you find yourself in the space you, where you were then coaching people? Yeah. I mean, I'll try to keep it short. Of course, there's so many ways I could tell this story, but I'll, I'll try to keep it brief, but effectively, you know, the reason, so I ended up moving um, to Phoenix, Arizona after I got my degree in urban planning. 
and worked in government. I was at the city of Phoenix there. So obviously very censored environment, very much like here's the talking points. Don't deviate. We don't want to go viral on Twitter or whatever was bigger at the time. And, and obviously being who I am, that was hard. And so I had all these friends that were doing storytelling, just these sort of, you know, open mics or stages where, you know, they would get on stage and tell a personal story. And I'd go to these shows and just think, there was something in my body that went, God, I think I kind of want to do this, but that's insane. And, and I remember even asking them like, so you just, you tell, you don't know any of these people, but you tell them your life. It, it seems crazy in hindsight that I would question this because it's so part of who I am now, but it, it felt like a very foreign concept. And so for a year, I would just go to these shows and I would even get invited to get, you know, the producers would be like, we're always looking for storytellers. He give me his card. He gave me at least two or three cards. And, um, the, the thing that sort of shifted was I ended up going to this church in Phoenix as a Methodist church, but kind of a progressive one. And the pastor and I had coffee and he was talking about storytelling being something he wants to bring into the service. And there was a woman who had just joined the congregation. Um, one of my dear friends now and mentors, Alexis Roan, and she was this master storyteller producer. And he said this sentence that I'll never forget, which is basically that he wasn't sure whether he wanted to bring storytelling into the service or just invite the congregation to go to some of these shows and acknowledge that that is a form of worship. And when he said that line, that it's a kind of worship, I think to this day, I don't hundred percent know what he means. Maybe he doesn't even remember saying it. I don't, you know, I feel like I've spent the last what seven years now trying to unpack that, but there was something about that word that made it feel very, just do it. I don't know. And that following week I did an open mic instantly addicted. I was just this rapid fire way to feel a connection with community, even though it's like, try to be like a little stray cat that floats in and out of spaces. It was just this place where I found community and this desire that I've always had to sort of be seen and known. I think we probably all have a desire for that really was satiated. And I got addicted, started doing shows all the time. I did competitive things like things like the moth um, did that in New York, LA. Like if I was traveling, I was, there was a storytelling thing. I would pop on stage. And like I said, uh, the selection just really, it just made me question a lot of things. I mean, regardless of how you like fall politically, I don't want to go there, but it was just a, a, a moment. And the, in November, what was it? 2016. I, at the same time, went to this workshop where there was a community of activists in South Phoenix, where there was a light rail getting ready to come through their neighborhood. And like, there was just a lot of fears around gentrification and they had a workshop with the community college there to really understand storytelling as a form of resistance, as a way to claim, you know, your right to remain in a space. And I got, oh, I'm getting goosebumps just even remembering it. But it's um, just seeing people over the course of a day go from what is a story to, okay, so I have a story and then being seen with it and seeing that transformation in people. I remember talking to the organizer afterwards and I go, what was that? You know, like I was used to being that girl that jumped on stage, told silly stories, got some applause, got off stage, whatever. It was like kind of an indulgent hobby. Um, but that was something else. And, and I talked to her about that and she said, well, it, it sounds, you know, she's like, there's people out there who tell stories um, and then there are storytellers. And I was like, well, what does that mean? And she said, well, a storyteller understands their responsibility to their community. And that was sort of another catalyst sort of moment where I go, 
I think I'm supposed to do something with this more than just tell my own stories. And I uh, ended up at a show where I saw a woman who on her bio, she said she was a storytelling coach. And I go, that's a, it's a job. That's a thing. <laughs> and so I had no idea what that meant, but in 2017, I just had one of these dramatic, like quit your day job, go launch a business, which don't recommend it. <laughs> I mean, I recommend starting the business. I don't re- recommend quitting your day job before you actually know what the heck you're doing with it. But I was naive. I was stupid. Uh, so yeah, I just quit my job, started this business, went on a cross country road trip that took up most of 2017, Um, and so where I'm at now with it is a lot of the work I do is with entrepreneurs or, you know, creative leaders of, um, some kind who have that desire to bring in more of their story and the work that they're doing, whether it's, you know, a YouTube channel or more like their marketing with their business or connecting with their team, um, speaking, things like that. And, um, and so, you know, pillar of what I do is really around, you know, what's the worst that can happen if you just tell the truth, you know? And I think there's, that was something I was missing a lot of when I worked in government was just, it felt like the truth made me a liability and, uh, that just felt terrible. You know, I'm thinking about, uh, this word truth and how I've had a lot of conversations lately with church folks. We're reading through the Bible in a year. So we've spent a good chunk of the last like month and a half in the Old Testament. And now now we're going to like bop back and forth between the two. But we talked about the difference between truth and fact. And, you know, earlier when you said like, there is no truth, I wonder if there is truth, but there's like, not necessarily that we all have the same facts and how that impacts how we tell our stories or how we like share our own perspectives. And I wonder if you have thoughts on that. The big part of what I talk about is, you know, whether I'm even coaching somebody to prepare for a job interview, I'm always coming back to this. Well, what do you, what's the truth? What do you actually think? Right. So there's obviously, there's a part of me that thinks that there is a truth that you can arrive at. And for me, and maybe you'll appreciate this as a dancer and and yogi and all these things. I think that you feel it in your body when something is true. And I think, you know, let's just say hypothetically, I'm preparing a story or somebody's preparing a story for a thing. The first draft of whatever you do almost certainly is not truthful because the first draft, in my opinion, is very much, well, here's the thing I want to craft in order for other people to, to receive me in a certain way, to have certain takeaways. They like me in this way. They get their mind blown in this way. And, you know, there's a lot, it's very external focused. Like here's the surface level of things. And then I think as you work through it, um, especially if you have somebody that you can collaborate with and, and workshop it, there's these moments of tension where I always say like, you, there's, if you find yourself skipping over parts that just, oh, that's too much to get into or something. Sometimes like the truth is actually living in there. And what I mean by that is the part that feels uncomfortable to actually say out loud. I mean, fundamentally, if we're gonna, you, you've got me lost on this facts part because it's so hard. It's what's making me think of, it's like the social dilemma is coming up for me right now and how we all, I don't, I don't go off on that thing, but this idea that we're now in this era where we all get different facts and that gives us a different like reality. So I'm trying to blend that in without getting all political, but, but I think, you know, if we get back to this idea of there's no true story or that you have a choice in your story, I think what comes to me is this idea is, okay, so things happen. And if you curate it either for yourself or for an audience, you're sort of putting a package around it, right? You have this beginning, middle, and then like, here's the context, here's what happened, and here's the conclusions and takeaway. And then you package that so you can deliver it to people in a way that's feels 
finite and digestible and this and that. And I think that that's where with time and distance, when you look back on it, you can ask yourself questions like, well, is that true? Right. So even talking about my ex and going into Beirut or this and that, you know, I'm wrestling with what the truth of that is. And it's over time, the truth sort of changes. And I think there's some agency around that version of truth where you, you get to really question if things are true for you or if you want them to be true for you. Like that's another thing. right? Um, But yeah, those are the things just, you know, off the top of my head that are coming up and just in my own inquiry of when I, you know, I'm, I'm constantly feeling like, is this true? Am I lying to people? Do I just want to be liked? You know, it's just, we're living in a weird time where, you know, we just, we, you know, obviously we connected through social media and it's just, it makes you really question what is true <laughs> living in that space, which is a whole other tangent, but yeah. What is truth? What, what do you think is truth? I want to hear your thoughts. <laughs> well, as you were talking, I was thinking about something that has been a real relationship tool for me, um, whether it's like with my husband or my, my parents or extended family, or even in my work environments, the phrase, the story I'm telling myself is, Because oftentimes when someone says something and I should give credit, this is a Brene Brown thing. Like if you want to learn more about this, people who are listening, go listen to Brene Brown. But she talks about the story you're telling yourself. And the thing for me is when someone says something to me, that's that triggers like an insecurity. I often make up a story around why they said what they said or why they did what they did. Mm -hmm. You know, for example, say my husband makes a comment. And he doesn't mean it in any kind of negative way, but I'm going to walk away and I'm going to stew on it. I'm going to make up whole story. I'm going to get angry. You know, I had a supervisor once who said he stopped by my office one day after church, after youth group and was like, Hey, in our Wednesday meeting, I want to talk to you about how to make youth group fun. And his daughters were in my youth group. And I remember spending the next two days thinking like, I'm not fun. (laughs) <laughs> he thinks I'm boring. His girls think I'm boring. I'm going to get fired from my job. Like all these different things. I told myself this whole story and thank God I was reading Brene Brown's book, Rising Strong that week and read the part about the story you tell yourself. And so I like wrote down the story I was telling myself. And then I sat down in our Wednesday meeting and I was like, okay, here's what I'm telling myself based off of that one comment. And he was like, no, not at all. Like, I just want to give you some game ideas. <laughs> So I think we craft sometimes our own Mm -hmm. truth based off of what we think other people's opinions of us are. And often they're super laced with our own insecurities. So that Mm -hmm. to me plays into this question of where's the truth. Right. Well, and there's also, oh gosh, we could have a whole podcast about this, but it's what's coming up for me and what you're seeing is that there's this truth that's relational and then with yourself, meaning, so obviously you're in a partnership, I'm not. And so I think you know, but regardless of whether I'm in a relationship or not, obviously I have relationships with humans in the world. And there's this like uh, desire to have like a co-created version of the truth that I think can be really challenging relationships. Like I was just in a conversation with somebody yesterday where I complimented somebody on something and he heard it in relation to him kind of is what's coming up for you. And I'm like, I wasn't even thinking about you, but I'm like, yeah, I guess the subtweet is if they're doing that, then, then maybe you're subpar by comparison, but whatever. Um, so, but then there's also like, I think when I think about just a, if we're going to go and do a how-to guide of how, how do you know if you're telling the truth or something, there is something that is valuable about just sitting by yourself with it. You know, I'm a huge fan of whatever your, you know, creative process is, whether it's journaling out, I'm a huge fan of just 
being like a crazy person walking down the street, talking to themselves. Um, masks help greatly with this. This is my favorite part of masks now is, you know, you can just have a whole conversation with yourself and nobody knows. Uh, but whatever the ways that these things can come out where you can almost be surprised by the words that come and where the, the story goes. I think that's a really interesting exploration too, when you think through what is, what is true in this moment. And it, and it takes time too. You know, there's been stories where I've wanted to tell at a certain point and then I try to workshop it and it's just janky and it's not coming out right. And I'm stuttering over my words and I, I can't get to a resolution. And then I just put it on pause. And then a year and a half later you go, Oh, that was actually a story about, you know, I had one story where I thought for sure it was about finding home in Arizona and nothing about that felt true. I felt like I was trying to force this conclusion and it actually turned out it was a story about, you know, the women in my family and this legacy. And, um, you know, I'm, no, I mean, vague because I don't, we don't need to get into the whole specifics of the story, but all that to say is sometimes you just got to let a story breathe a little bit and, and just be curious with it, you know, and, and what, it, what, you know, why that story is coming up for you is probably for a reason anyway, and just see what comes up. I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Okay. So this pastor said to you, like there's something worshipful about storytelling. And mm -hmm. I wonder the word that came up for me is sacred. Like what mm -hmm. is sacred about telling a story? What comes to mind to me. So if we're going to get into storytelling as a, a ancient craft, right? It's the sort of oldest form of art that we've had. You know, there's this idea that um, storytelling is actually a three-part thing, right? There's obviously there's a storyteller, um, there's the story that they're telling, and then there's the audience. Um, and they're all equal, right? I think that in this era of the social media, of the TED Talks and all these things, we kind of forget that storytelling is in the exchange. And so I guess what's coming up for me in terms of this idea of like sacred or spiritual. So I definitely feel God through connection the most, right? Where there's this sort of beautiful, vulnerable connection between two people is the way that I go, oh gosh, like, God is real, <laughs> you know, when you see somebody just really like seeing you um, and vice versa. And so I guess in the experiences where storytelling has felt the most profound for me is where, you know, you have this good on paper plan of what you're going to say and what you're going to do. And you've taken all the time that you can to craft what you're going to craft and say what you're going to say. And then like, I just had this experience in a workshop where somebody surprised me with their contributions, you know, where I, you know, I have my talking points and I just sort of paused for questions and she offered up a totally different sort of talking point to my presentation. And I go, yeah, that makes me think, you know, and, and so I think the same thing can happen when you tell a story is if somebody starts to see themselves in your story, they might come back to you and be like, oh, I really connected with X, Y, Z. And yeah, there's this part of you that's like, that's uh, not really what I said. I'm sure that happens with you in sermons all the time where you're like, here's what I'm trying to get you to understand. And then they come back with they're like, I really liked that point. And you're like, oh, I don't remember saying that, but that's okay. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and, but it's this thing, it's like, but that's the magic, right? They heard whatever they're supposed to hear. And the only thing I can think of is that that's sort of spirit moving through us where you said something, they heard something. Maybe it's your energies we're connecting. Um, and I think on one hand, it makes the world a less lonely place, but it also, you know, you tap into parts of yourself when you hear somebody telling a story that 
just all of a sudden sends you back down memory lane. And all of a sudden you're thinking about your mom and you're five years old. And, you know, they might be talking about going to on a picnic with their family, but who knows, you know, why did your mind go there? Like, I don't know. I think that's, that's where my mind goes to just immediately thinking about the the sacred nature of storytelling is this co-creation piece. Yeah. And the way it connects us all. I'm mm-hmm. curious what you would say to folks who are like, I don't have a story. I'm not a storyteller. Like there's not really anything interesting that I could share. What do you tell those folks? So what <laughs> I hear that all the time where people are like, oh, I'm a terrible storyteller, you know? And so first of all, I, I understand the sentiments. Um, what I hear in that when people say I'm a terrible storyteller, most likely I'm going to make an assumption that they've seen some variation of a really dramatic, maybe a rags to riches story. Maybe somebody's had a, a number of losses or these sort of catastrophic, catastrophic events where they've that sort of traditional hero's journey, right? Everything's gone to hell and now you have to rebuild from nothing. And now you're the sort of heroic ending to it all. Um, but what I've seen to be true, both in my life and other people is that what happens in a story almost doesn't matter as much as the willingness you have to share the thoughts and feelings behind why you did what you did. Because if you think about some of these like iconic books that got to be so popular, if you think uh, you mentioned Brene Brown, but I would add maybe like an Elizabeth Gilbert or Glennon Doyle. Glennon Doyle's first book, if you read Love Warrior, effectively is boring, right? Of course there's affairs and things like that, but like she's a housewife living in Naples, Florida, super relatable life, goes to church on Sunday, has three kids, stay-at-home mom, right? By all like effective measures, but the depths to which she's able to really introspect on how did she get where she was. And she gives us this insight into how she sees the world, the little tiny moments where she can describe the moment of her husband coming in at, you know, uh, from work and just the desperation she feels in life and everything that like, that's magic when you hear somebody's inner dialogue in that way. So, you know, I don't know. I, I, everybody thinks that they might be a terrible story for a number of reasons. It's usually based on the fact that you think that your life is not that interesting, but the reality is most people's life is not that interesting and, or objectively, right? Like most people haven't, you know, summited Everest and all the things. And that's not always the most relatable thing. Like, you know, what makes stories universal is the way in which our thoughts and our fears and our hopes and our dreams. And if those can be articulated in a way where people see themselves in your story, that's what makes you a great storyteller. I didn't mean to put Glennon Doyle on blast. I'm going to, I feel like you definitely have some people in your audience. They're going to be like, who, how dare she say that Glennon's boring? But like, I mean, (laughs) but I I think you actually lifted her up in a way to say that like she made something that was like outwardly looks boring, actually be magical. And mm-hmm. relatable that that's yeah. So I didn't hear you knocking her. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, I, I feel like maybe Elizabeth Gilbert is somebody who always gets blasted. Who hasn't blasted her for e pray love? Like, oh, this New England yuppie white woman. She's unhappy in her marriage. She divorces him. She travels around the world. Eh, like, who does she think she is? And I'm like, well, first of all, she did it. She wrote about it, and now she's gajillionaire. So first of all, just let that be what it is. But also if you actually read the book, forget the movie, right? You know, but if you read the book, it's how she describes these incredibly common things that you feel it in your bones, you know? Yeah. So yeah. 
Absolutely. Well, and the story that has stuck with me from Brene Brown is her story of going for a swim with her husband and the insecurities she feels about wearing um, her Speedo. <laughs> like that is such a boring story, but it's such a, like, I relate to that. So like you put on a swimsuit and you're like, we all, I shouldn't say we all, many of us have that feeling and that that's what makes it relatable. It's not an exciting Mm -hmm. story, but it is an impactful one. I was going to say that was right before you said the story. I was like, I hope she says a swimsuit story because that's the first one that went to, and she tells it. I just want to say, okay, if we're going to get into like, what makes a great story? So if people haven't read this book, is it, which one is it in braving the wilderness? Uh, Rising strong. Right, and she also tells it in her Netflix special. But the way she tells that story, it's play by play by play. It's it's suspenseful. I mean, it's really, she jumps in, she says this, her husband responds in this way. And then she says that, and he responds this way. You know, it's this, you know, it, that anything can be a great story if you just stay in it and build a certain amount of suspense and don't give away the ending too soon, right? I mean, that's, if we're going to get into some more of the arts and the craft side of storytelling, you know, she just told it in a way where you go, oh my gosh, like what happened? Is he having a heart attack in the pool or the, the lake? Like what's happening? You know, you just, you don't know how it's going to end. And ultimately it's, it's climactic and anticlimactic at the same time. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. What is the gift of storytelling in work environments or faith environments, you know, for people who are like, I don't what is, why would I want to tell a story? you know, what, what can you say to those folks who are like, what is, what's the value behind doing this work? So fundamentally, you don't have to tell stories, right? I'm, you know, sometimes I, I find myself wanting to, to preach to people like, well, you got to tell stories, you got this and that. But fundamentally, most people, if they are in any capacity, speaking publicly, giving presentations, there's two things you want. A, you want to remember what you're saying, you want to remember your talking points. That's just basic, right? And in theory, you want to feel pretty confident when you're doing it, right? You don't want to look like a total frog. Then there's the version 2.0 where you feel like a deep connection with your audience. And but I feel like not everybody even cares that much about the connection with the audience. Mostly you want to remember what you have to say and be confident. And so fundamentally, because stories are linear, right? They're basically telling what happened in some variation of a beginning, middle, and end where you remember your next talking point if you remember your last one. So all you really need to remember is the first line of any story and ideally the last line. And you can relatively easily remember your place if you're telling a story. And I know this because literally last Friday, I was at a conference where my presentation was kicking off. I always start off with a story and Every possible tech failure could have happened. There was Zoom room echo. It was a hybrid conference. I was in person, but some people were remote. There was echoes. The mic wasn't working. It was chaos for the first really 15, 20 minutes of this whole thing. But I, you know, that one of the compliments I got was, oh my gosh, I can't believe you kept it together. And I didn't even think about that piece of it, but just fundamentally, I was telling a story. So as long as I just remembered where I got cut off, then I could just pick it back up. So that there's my pitch for the it will help you be um, better at that piece of it. But in terms of this confidence piece, I, I hate that word because it feels like there's confident people and not confident people. But that is a common word that comes up for me when somebody's filling out like a survey or something. They want to feel more confident. And in my experience, what makes me the most confident when I'm standing in front of people, which is 
a horrifying experience to have a bunch of eyeballs looking back at you. Let's be real. It's not natural. We are social creatures. We should be in one to many like that is very unnatural is the degree to which I can feel really grounded in what do I believe? Even if I lose the whole room and they all hate me and walk out, what is it that I actually believe such that I can at least feel like, well, they didn't like me for being me. And there's, there's no way to get to that place of grounding if you aren't evaluating your story a little bit and being willing to share from a personal experience. I think we've been bred through school and everything to think that the way to look like an authority or credible is if you read a bunch of books, get your citations, and then regurgitate facts to people, which A, is terrible for retention because your brain cannot hang on to just disparate facts like that. So that's another thing. But also there's just something when somebody allows themselves to be seen, you can feel their energy in a completely different way that just sticks with you. Even if you don't remember what they said, maybe they didn't say the most impactful thing. So, you know, I'm I'm dipping into that third category of like how to build a connection with your audience, but it's the audience will connect with you to the same degree that you connect with yourself. Right. And if you are not located in your own lived experience, if you're not speaking from a place of, well, these are the things I've seen and I know to be true for my life. And now I'm choosing to share them, realizing that I might just be a case study of one, you know, it can feel really, um, I don't know, just disconnected um, to hear somebody just take up an hour of your time to throw facts at you. I don't know. I feel like I've gone in a few different directions, but hopefully the answer is, what was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, you know, I, I feel like the end game is that connection, right? That mm-hmm. that you want to be able to feel that one-to-one, even when it's a room with a bunch of people or mm-hmm. you're writing something or whatever it might be. Or I even think of like people who design websites or things like that, you know, or what you write on social media, these are all ways of telling story. And I think the more honest we are, the more people relate to it and connect to it. I want to go back to what you said earlier about, you know, the parts that like feel icky that you don't necessarily Mm -hmm. want to share that sometimes that's where the gold is. Mm -hmm. I recently read a couple months ago, Tarana Burke's book, and she tells a story about beating up a girl. And I remember setting the book down and telling my husband, like, I don't know that I would be brave enough Mm. to write the story where I don't look good, (laughs) right? Like, am I willing to share the story where I look not like the hero, but like a villain. Mm. Mm -hmm. But when you look at her whole story, you're like, oh, I can see what happened to her and why that impacted her in a way that would make her choose that, you know, Mm. that I had this thought, um, early this morning, I shared with you before we started recording that we took a red eye back from our vacation and I was exhausted and taught yoga early this morning and came back and was trying to fall asleep. And I had this thought come to me as I was just about to fall back asleep. That was like, everybody's a little bit awful. I love this. (laughs) Like, we all, I was like, I need to write a book called everyone's a little bit awful. Cause I have the tendency to think of everyone as wonderful. Like I want to see everybody's mm-hmm. great qualities, but the truth is like, and myself too. And there's some grace in that. There is grace mm-hmm. in the fact that we all say things we don't really mean, 
we all can be mean. We all, you know, everyone is a little bit awful, right? In our own special Mm -hmm. ways. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But also we all have reasons for those things. And we all have experiences that have led to that. And maybe it's those awful things that make us the most human and make us the most Mm-hmm. relatable. That, that's absolutely it. When you say, you, you know, these little things that you can skip over. Um, yeah. I mean, that's absolutely the parts that, that do make you kind of a little bit awful is absolutely the parts you skip over. And, and I think in my journey with this is, you know, by definition, if you're choosing to tell a story to a person, I've said this before, like you need to wrap it up somehow. And I don't know where this started, but we've all been told that in order to wrap up a story, you kind of have to end it on a high note, right? It's sort of beginning, middle and end. And it's like, yeah, you can have some terrible stuff in the middle, but you have to end it positive and you have to be this hero. And, um, and it's, it's just, it's really easy to, um, to not just to stay in that place where you do want to be beloved with stories. I think when you had asked the story, the question around the truth, there was one part I started to touch on and I kind of didn't go there. But um, when I said that it's, it feels like an embodied experience to really tap into the truth, which by, you know, doesn't mean you then have to, okay, well now I've tapped into the truth and I have to go tell everybody. You can have stories where you just tell yourself the truth and the privacy of your home and nobody ever hears it. Right. Because one story that's coming up for me right now, as we're talking about this, like dark side is, you know, I had this experience recently where I don't know why I was doing this, but I feel like everybody does this at some point where I was on social media and it was one of these moments where it's 10, 11 o'clock at night. You should just turn off all gadgets, go to bed. That's what you should do. We all know you should drink the chamomile tea, light a candle, go to bed, whatever. I mean, not in that order, but I was on social media and it just like one thing led to another where you look up somebody for me, this is, um, uh, I have a, complicated relationship to Portland based on how I left it and everything going to Beirut and all this stuff. And I've told different stories at times in my life where I've, I've told it in a way that's packaged up. I've even talked about my ex and all that stuff in a way that feels packaged up. Portland feels packaged up. Everything feels packaged because I can't leave the audience in a bunch of just loose ends, or at least I feel like I can't. And so it's, it's been for the public consumption, it has been tied up with a bow and then internally (laughs) That's a whole other story. But I found myself one day, probably on Facebook or whatever. And it's just, you look up one person and then that makes you curious. Like, well, what is Jenny doing? Oh, Jenny's still working at blah, blah, blah. And then you find yourself flux. I found myself fluctuating between, oh my gosh, like those two people ended up getting married and they have a kid. Oh, they have a dog. Oh my gosh. What am I doing with my life? And then you go down and then you get to this dark place where one girl's still working the same company, practically the same job. And I'm like, Oh, she still works there. Like what, why isn't she more ambitious? It just went dark in my head of both self-criticisms, criticism of them. And, da, da, da. and then I found myself closing this laptop going, Oh gosh, you really did it now. Like you have made yourself fully awake now with rage and judgment. And then I'm, I'm flagellating myself for having done all this. And there was this little moment where I just kind of thought, okay, I could force this out of, or try to force this out of my head and go to sleep right now. I was like, but what if I allowed myself to really feel this? And I pretty much laid in bed and allowed the full totality of the envy and the dare I say, even like regret of like, well, what did I do these last 10 years? You know, I ran around the world. I did this and that lived out of my car and all these things. And they're living the real life because they have, you know, X, Y, Z job or babies. And, and I just let that completely 
consume my entire body to just feel it. And then it just felt like these waves kind of like, I almost like felt my brain fog out a little bit. And then it just eventually it passed and I survived. And it was just this moment where I go like, this feels like the truth, like allowing yourself to actually just be like, yeah, you are a terrible judgmental person. And, and, or, and specifically, I think the feeling that was hardest to feel was regret. Cause I don't like anything I can't control like the past. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> the audacity, you know, and it's like, so when you think about stories, then the question becomes, you know, if I ever tell a story in the future, do I talk about Portland as like this place where I, you know, I just realized that I'm an international superstar and I'm going to take off or do I actually admit to some parts of, well, I don't know, you know, I've, I've lived some interesting things, but I, haven't experienced others or, you know, I don't know. It's all true. Wow. It's a choice, but it's true. Yes. Yes. And the truth is what makes it beautiful and allows for that connection. You know, when you were talking about your move to Lebanon and I was like, oh yeah, I've done a lot of things where like, if you look at the trajectory of my life, it looks like I've been on this fast track, like really ambitious etc. But there were a lot of times where the decisions I made were based off of, okay, what is this person I'm connected to in my life, this man in my life, what is he doing, you know, Mm. or all those things. And so when you're telling that story, I was like, I think everyone has one of those. I'm sure Mm. everybody, even the people who we look at, and we're like, they are the dream, you know, I'm sure they all have the underside that Mm. we don't get to see that that's where the connection is. And the truth is, and where we're all just humans who are both awful and magical. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I think coming back to this idea, like it, I guess the takeaway for this entire podcast is no stories are true and all stories are true, right? <laughs> There's so many versions of truth because it's, and, and what's crazy to me is that I can forget a, a story. I can literally, even in my own life, I can forget uh, uh, what actually happened. So for instance, uh, I'll say this really quickly. If we're going to take this dramatic where I quit my job and I start my business and this and that, if I'm honest in the exact moment in which I dramatically decided to tell my boss that I actually did not want to work there anymore. The only thing that gave me that audacity was that I had this sort of long distance, I'm gonna call it a situationship in Austin. And we had kind of talked about somehow like me moving there in a way where I'm sure in hindsight, it was just me talking about it. I don't think he actually <laughs> was on board with any of this, but I just sort of, I was in this place where I was just feeling kind of, again, still in the existential crisis of the election, but in the exact moment that I said the words, no, I don't want to work here anymore. My, my thought was, well, I'm just going to move to Austin. That was my actual thought. And then that night I went home and start to, you know, look up jobs in Austin and, and something in my body then was like, no, not this. And I go, okay, well then what, you know, and, and I just, and that's what sent me off into this cross country road trip thing where it was just this inquiry of like, well, if it's not this, then what is it? And it was a very painful time, but you would never note it on social media. My social media was on point. I was in Kansas one day, I was in Philadelphia another day and people were like, oh my God, you're just so free. And I'm like, I really am actually homeless, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh there's so much to relate to in that okay 
Before we go into our rapid fire questions, and I just have to, I haven't like looked at the questions I said I was going to ask you. <laughs> Good, neither <laughs> have I. <laughs> Great. Um, just what would you tell people as like a few quick tips for how to tell a story well? And then we'll go into our rapid fire. Yeah. And so I think I've touched on a couple of things and I'll just be more succinct with them here. First of all, I would say, tell the story of what happened, not I think a tendency we all have is to talk about what happened where we sort of introduced a little bit of a story and then we jump to the conclusions and we just leave off all the good stuff. Be in the present. This happened, which triggered that to happen, which triggered that to happen, which triggered that to happen. Stay in the story. Um, So that would be one thing for sure. But the other thing, and we've talked about this um, also in this conversation is there's many things that move a story forward. And I think this is where people get lost in details. And that's why I have a job is people come to me and they go, oh my gosh, I get lost in details and I ramble and I, I say too much. I never know when to stop, right? That's why there's coaches out there. But but don't forget that any, when you're talking about the facts that happen in a story, there's also thoughts, feelings, fears, hopes that move the story forward. Every action that we take is because we felt something, thought something, and then made a decision or made, took an action because of that. And that is the good stuff. If like, you have to share the inner dialogue so people can see how you were viewing the world and why from like what viewpoint, because that's where people get locked in and really connect with it. And that universal magic happens. Like you think, um, I think Glennon Doyle quoted somebody where she said, the deeper you go into the story and the more you go into it is where it gets to be universal. She says it way better, but we have this thing, we have a tendency to not want to be too much about ourselves because we're like, oh, if I talk about myself, then people won't see themselves. No, they will see themselves more the deeper you go. So those are like my two things. Actually tell the story of what happened. Don't fly over it and and let us know what you were thinking. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) This is great. Okay. Are you ready for some rapid fire? No, but yes. (laughs) no but I don't have a choice (laughs) oh I love it okay finish the sentence God is vulnerability favorite verse or story in the Bible today I've been obsessed with Mary Magdalene lately so any moments of her just in full faith honestly can I say anything from the gospel of Mary Magdalene it can be controversial absolutely yes (laughs) Um, but specifically there's this part, I'm not going to quote it because I don't know off the top of my head, but the, uh, the disciples, the traditional disciples that we think of as disciples, um, are sort of, again, like beating Jesus down for certainty about this, that, whatever. And there's this moment where she's kind of points out that they've missed the point and certainty is not really what he's bringing. And it's actually much more about inner wisdom. And I don't remember the line, but it blew my mind. So anything Mary Magdalene. Thank you. I love that. Okay. I walk into a party and I'm looking for you. Where do I find you? And what are you doing? I'm definitely close to uh, the food and very likely in a intense one-on-one conversation, um, trying to avoid small talk at any cost. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. What is something that people often get wrong about you? That I feel free. That's a very common one is they look at my life as though it has a lot of freedom in it. And I think I'm, I spend a lot of my time seeped in fear, steeped in fear, whatever. 
drowning in fear. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What is your favorite season and your favorite seasoning? So I live in Arizona. So fall, definitely not because we have magical seasons or, um, the colors or all that stuff, but when it just starts to cool down is just the absolute best. But I think in general, there's something very warm and yummy. I love winter and like getting ready for that season where just the days are super short. I actually weirdly like that. Um, Seasoning. I've been really having fun with uh, chipotle pepper powder these days. That has been my jam, mostly because it makes everything really red and it's both like smoky and spicy. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Okay. Two more questions. What do you know for sure? What the first thing that came to mind was the truth will set you free. (laughs) Even as I say that I don't feel free at all. I'm just a bowl of lies and juxtapositions that just contradict each other. (laughs) Isn't that what the truth does? (laughs) Yes. The truth will set you free. Yeah. Mm. And final question. What is filling your well right now? Dance. Um, I'm not just saying that to kiss up to you, um, but one of the, uh, I'm, I'm on a hiatus with any talk therapy or self-help books right now. I just, I decided I'm as good as I'm going to get these days, but I've started to do this thing called ecstatic dance. And it's just basically like hippie dancing where there's not a lot of rhyme or reason. You can just kind of do whatever from lay on the ground to sit, to roll, jump, whatever you want to do. And it has been hands down the most healing thing for me to just get in touch with what do I actually want to do? What does my body really want to do versus, you know, what are the steps and what are the one, two, three uh, things or the poses or the whatever it's magic. Freeing. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love this conversation. (laughs) Yes. It's freeing. Anna, thank you so much. Can you tell folks where they can find you if they're interested in the work you do or just to follow you and hear more stories? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm pretty easy to find if you just Google Anna Darian, that's A-N-N-A-D-A-R-I-N. My website is AnnaDarian.com. My Instagram is AnnaDarian. Pretty easy. Um, not sure when this is airing, but I am going to be starting a group coaching program in um, probably April, realistically. But otherwise, like if you go to the website at any point, I'm usually there's either a workshop or there's just one-on-one services that I offer very specifically for purpose-driven entrepreneurs, leaders um, that want to tap into what their truth is, even as we accept that <laughs> the truth is an illusion. <laughs> Oh, this is amazing. You are wonderful, Anna. And I'm so grateful that you took time today to, to chat with us. And um, thank you for sharing your story and your version of the truth. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's been awesome. My friends, I hope this episode gives you the courage to share your story, your truth with the world. 
get a little vulnerable, even if it's just with your journal and set some of your story free. And if you want a coach to help you through it, all of Anna's contact information will be in our show notes so you can find her easily. I want to give a special thanks to Brie Daniel, our amazing, amazing sound editor who makes it possible for us to put out these episodes every week. And to those of you who are monthly givers via Tidely, you make it possible for us to pay Brie and to put out these episodes. This podcast really is solely run on donations and on your devotional purchases. So please know we are incredibly indebted to you that support us in that way. And of course, there's a link to give if you want to give in the show notes. And honestly, if supporting it financially is impossible, there are so many other ways that you support us. We are really incredibly grateful just to have you as a listener. Seeing the numbers bump up just one more helps me know that what we're putting out is meaningful for you. And increasing those numbers gets our visibility out. So even just that one little thing, one act of listening to an episode makes a huge impact. So please know that each and every one of you, we are so indebted to you and so grateful for you. That allows us to put these podcasts out and share God's grace with even more people. So please know you really are a gift and we're thankful for you. Okay, my friend, as you go into the rest of your day, I invite you to receive this blessing. May you go forth with the courage to tell your story. And in doing so, may you be set free. May you feel seen, may you feel heard, and may you know you are loved beyond all measure. Go forth in God's grace and God's love held in the comfort and blessing of our creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Peace be with you, my friend. Amen.